This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly podcast, you will get the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, and baseball from HOL's Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Greg Peterson. Now, here's your host, HuskerOnline.com publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as we start off today's show with recruiting news. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more spring football here later in the show. But I wanted to get right to this out of the gates because it has been a hell of a run for Nebraska over the last few weeks. Uh, start of the Javon McQuitty. Uh, then Nebraska gets a commitment from Keyshawn Johnson Jr. And the momentum has continued to roll as Nebraska gets a commitment from four-star quarterback Tristan Jebbia. He's the number one quarterback in the state of California. And, Nate, this is a guy that we saw a year ago at the satellite camps with Patrick O'Brien throwing the football uh, in California. And, and you knew this was a special prospect. And uh, the relationships Nebraska has been able to build with him over the year, uh, I think that's been huge. And, and, and it led to this early commitment. Yeah, it was those connections that ultimately sealed the deal here. And, uh, I mean, when you're talking about the number one quarterback in California, he had plenty of options. And, uh, you know, it came down to, to Nebraska and Ole Miss where he was a legacy recruit, and the Huskers went out again on, on one of those legacy guys. So uh, absolutely huge pickup. You know, this is the top-rated quarterback that Nebraska's landed since going back, you know, all the way to 2002, 2001, you know. Um, so, you know, with all the connections that he has and being Keyshawn Johnson Jr.'s teammate, um, you know, highly rated guy, this is uh, quite the coup for the Huskers. You know, you, you look at the future now of the quarterback position, it's exciting. I mean, you think about next year at this time in the spring, you're going to have Patrick O'Brien. You're going to have Tristan Jebbia, who's going to be an early enrollee. And people forget about transfer Tanner Lee from Tulane. You're going to have three kind of pro potential type guys running this system for Mike Riley and Danny Langstorff, three Sean Mannion type of quarterbacks, you know, that can kind of do some of these things that they, they want to do uh, with the system going forward. And I don't know if I can remember a time where Nebraska's had kind of three just true polished quarterbacks like this at one time when you start to look at it next year. No, I, they've never, to my knowledge, or as long as I've been around the program and covered recruiting, that we've never had or never seen this many, you know, top-flight quarterbacks on campus. And and I think what's most impressive about it, or or most exciting about it, is uh, from a pa fan's perspective, is how they're all spread out. Tanner Lee is going to be a junior. Uh, Patrick O'Brien probably won't redshirt this year, is my guess, and you know will be heading into that 2017 season. Uh, as a as a sophomore, and then if Jebbia comes in, uh, even though he's going to be an early enrollee, I, I think that it would probably be in his best interest to redshirt, gain a little weight. Um, there's going to be space in between he and Patrick O'Brien, so you got three legitimate passing quarterbacks who are going to be spread out over the next few years uh, that can you know run exactly what Mike Riley and Danny Langsdorf want to run. And call, call me crazy, Nate, but I think in some ways if Tanner Lee can come in and 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 win the job next year, that, that would be a good thing. Because I, I think it would create that separation at the position where you look at what Nebraska has gone through the last seven years. They've had, 
you know, basically freshman starting quarterbacks that they've rode through and Tanner, Tommy Armstrong kind of took the job his freshman year from Taylor, his senior year when Taylor got hurt, but it's kind of been a drug they haven't been able to get off. And and I don't know if you want to go down that road again with a freshman starting quarterback because, uh, you know, that hurts your recruiting for that position in, in the future years. Yeah, I think it would be nice to see a quarterback that has experience be the guy for two years. And, and take the pressure off. Yeah, take the bit. pressure off. You don't have to be the man. You know, they're stockpiling some some talented guys, uh, t- talented skill position guys, uh, and have a quarterback that can come in, run the show, and, and not, uh, you know, not feel like he has to be the man playing and play out and just you know facilitate this offense we, we've seen what this offense can do uh, when it's rolling right along and and I think they've got the quarterbacks now that can do that on a you know every every series every game type of basis you're listening here to the Husker online show Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus we're talking about Nebraska's newest quarterback edition four-star Tristan Jebbia the number one quarterback in the state of California the Huskers beat out Ohio State they beat out Alabama they beat out a number of of top level programs uh, that that were in the mix uh, for a guy like Jebbia and, and you know Old Miss was the main one. Obviously, he was a legacy. It was really Nebraska and Old Miss in the end. And uh, you know you think about him, Nate, comparing him to Patrick O'Brien. Um, you know, I, I look at O'Brien. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's got more size and probably a stronger arm, but yet Jebbia is is higher ranked. Is a lot of that just because people know who Jebbia is now, where a year ago at this time, O'Brien wasn't as known um, as a commodity around the state of California? Yeah, I think that has something to do with it. You know, Jebbia's been on the scene a little bit longer, has been a known commodity. I'd actually say that, that Jebbia might have a stronger arm. Both both Patrick O'Brien and Jebbia have got got uh, you know some, some cannons on them, but uh, I think Jebbia may have have O'Brien beat just a little bit there. Um, you know, and Jebby is going to come in. It has, there are a lot of similarities there. I think the biggest difference, like you mentioned, is the size and, you know, the ability to run. We've seen O'Brien, what he can do in high school, reading, you know, doing some of the read zone stuff. It's kind of like a Ben Roethlisberger type guy. Yeah. He's a big body that can move. and is a big body that can move, can take some hits. Uh, you, but you didn't really see that out of Jebby. He's more of a pocket guy, but he also had a number of weapons to distribute the ball to. So he didn't really need to run, didn't need to get out there and, and move the chains with his feet. But I think that's something he can do, but he's not exactly proven at that. And you think about him coming here, Jebbia. I mean, this is the the classic kind of groomed California quarterback with the California hairdo that, you know, these guys don't come to Nebraska, Nate. I mean, it's <laughs> it's pretty nuts to think about that they've been able to basically go into this state and I was amazed at the satellite camp last year in Santa Monica how groomed these quarterbacks are and just trained and in the mechanics and the footwork and the and the knowledge of the game of football. It's at a whole other level, and Jebbia is the cream of the crop in that state right now. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He is the guy. And the, all these guys out in California and on, along the West Coast, where they work out with these quarterback gurus. They're not coming to college needing to be groomed and, and taught the basics. They're coming to college with a, with a great foundation already laid, and they don't have to be broken down mechanically. Tristan Jebbia is, I mean, about as efficient as you can get uh, mechanically for a, a high school quarterback. He knows how to check down. He knows how to throw the ball exactly. away. He has the right three-step, five-step drop. I mean, the things that, you know – for example, like a guy like Riker Fife has a lot of athletic ability, a lot of arm talent, 
But those things we just mentioned, he had to really train and learn those from ground zero. And and these California guys, uh, it's not always the case. They they know a lot of this. Yeah, they know a lot of that. And it's not like they don't. They won't have to work on some of those things, but they won't have to work on it as much. And and I think I think that's kind of what gives these guys maybe a leg up on on some other prospects out there uh, is that they have been groomed. They've worked you know every weekend and sometimes in some cases every day and a lot of these guys after school they lift weights with their friends and with their teammates and then they're going on to another hour hour and a half workout with a quarterback guru and, and throwing to, to wide receivers and running routes and working on you know different drills to on your feet and your your drops and, and i mean it's just it's insane the amount of work that these guys put in uh, but it definitely pays off and, and you can see that with a guy like tristan jebbia now nebraska is two for two now at calabasas with uh, Keyshawn johnson jr and tristan jebbia both committed and now all attention Nate is focusing over to Darnay Holmes, the five-star defensive back who's very high in Nebraska. I believe he's been here what five times now. Five times, yes. And you know, with his guys here, he he. I don't know about you. He retweets a lot of Nebraska stuff. He likes a lot of my tweets. I know he likes a lot of your tweets uh, about Nebraska. What do you think um, the chances are, and, and kind of where are things at with Darnay as far his as far as his process goes? Well, I think nationally the perception is that Stanford is the team to beat. UCLA is right there as well, but. My gut feeling is that Nebraska is the team to beat here, and it's because, in large part, he's visited five different times already. He has a comfort level. He's developed a great relationship with Mike Riley, Keith Williams, uh, Brian Stewart, all those guys on in the recruiting And he's going to hear about Nebraska every day. He's hearing about Nebraska each and every day, and now he's got three of his best friends who are going to be on campus. you got Markel Dismuke, who they signed last year, Keyshawn Johnson Jr. and Tristan Jebbia, who, who are two of his best friends, are in this class and they've won a lot of ball games together at Calabasas and I, I think it, at the end of the day it's going to be hard to turn down the opportunity to play with all those guys on the next level. All right well when we come back uh, we are going to be joined by Nebraska's newest quarterback commit Tristan Jebiez. We'll catch up with him and hear more about why he picked Nebraska and, and, and kind of how things played out. That's all next here you're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. And uh, we're pleased to be joined now by Nebraska's newest quarterback commit, Tristan Jebby, a four-star quarterback out of Calabasas, California, number one ranked quarterback in the state of California. First of all, Tristan, congratulations on the decision. I'm sure it's a relief uh, just to kind of have this process behind you now as you get ready for your senior season. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor to be on the show. On the, uh, show. Yeah, t- t- let's go through the process. I mean, you know, your, your knowledge about Nebraska, I know you've been up here several times. It started last year uh, when you guys came up here in March, and um, you were at the satellite camp as well and spent some time with the, set, the uh, staff in Santa Monica. Uh, what was your knowledge about Nebraska, um, you know, at this time about a year ago? Uh, well, about a year ago, you know, I was just uh, really up, you know, early in the process, you know, um, I wouldn't say that I even had really a dream school, so I was, you know, brand new into all this, uh, you know, college football stuff. You know, obviously I watched a lot of it, but, you know, just bits and pieces and mainly just quarterbacks. So, um, you know, jumping into, uh, you know, big-time big, big time programs like Nebraska, you know, I, I got to learn, and I got to learn pretty quickly that, you know, it's um, it's a really, you know, big-time thing to be uh, offered, and, you know, stuff like that by, by schools like that. 
Now, Tristan, you talked a lot about the energy at Nebraska that you felt when you visited. Um, you know, and, and mm-hmm. just describe that to me a little bit. Um, you know, what what is it exactly that you felt from this coaching staff and from the you know tradition or, or whatever the, the Nebraska's program holds? Uh, well, you know, I just loved everything about you know you know how they run practice, you know how they uh, you know get through a lift because I got to see a little bit of a lift too, and. Um, there's just it's a lot of you know up tempo energy you know there's a lot of passion that goes into the game from the coaches and you can visibly see it you know uh, they pay everybody there wants to win and everybody there wants to have a really good time and I just love it. We're joined by Nebraska's latest commit four star Tristan Jebby out of Calabasas, California. Here as uh, we talk more about his decision and Tristan, you know you're, you're in California there and it's no secret that the tutelage and the training for California high school quarterbacks is as good as anywhere in the country. When did you kind of decide you wanted to be a big time quarterback? I mean, what age and, and give us, give us an idea just how much time you put in, in the off season with your, your, you know, training and in private instruction you receive. Um, well, when I was in sixth grade, I started playing, you know, court, tackle football quarterback and, you know, it was, a, it was really, really fun. Uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, I threw my first touchdown pass at uh, John Elway Stadium in Granada, and uh, I just I fell in love with the game. You know, uh, there's just nothing like it when you get to you know sprint after your guy after he gets to the short you know pass and just you know moves downfield. So uh, I think at that point I just knew that you know I wanted to do something with the game for sure, and uh, you know I'm just blessed that I could be a player and you know have the talent to be a player first, and then you know uh, wherever this takes me, I'm going to be you know very uh, very happy about that. And, uh, you know, I, I try to put in as much time into the game as I can because, you know, uh, I got a lot uh, to live up to, you know. Um, I feel like I just, you know, I really want to do well at the next level and I want to, you know, help uh, the seniors on my team and, you know, the rest of the guys get to the state championship this year. So um, I'm putting in uh, probably – I'm probably working six, if not seven days a week trying to, you know, just be the best that I can be for my team. And is that with seven on seven, or do you have a coach that you're working with on the side? I mean, uh, who are some of the different high-level coaches you've been able to work with in your time growing up? Uh, you know, I've gotten to work with, uh, you know, a lot of great, really great quarterback coaches. Uh, you know, as you said, California, Southern California is a, is a hotbed for quarterback training, and there's a lot of great quarterbacks that come out of here. So, you know, I got to work with – I get to work with Steve Clarkson on a regular basis. Um, you know, I work with Rudy Carpenter. Uh, who's an ex-NFL guy. Um, I get to work with uh, Tom House, uh, who's really 3D QB. And, uh, you know, it's just it's a blessing to be around guys like that who have trained such high-level guys and uh, really know what they're talking about and try to, you know, do the best they can to, to help me improve my craft. Now, Tristan, sticking with that theme, you know, how big of, how big was it for you that Danny Langsdorf and Mike Riley also have a reputation of being able to develop quarterbacks and, and kind of work, um, be successful with, with the quarterback? Well, you know, that's huge for me, honestly, because uh, I know that I'm, you know, I'm still really young and um, I have a lot of, a lot of improving to do. So for me to know that, you know, I got a guy, I mean, a coach like Coach Langsdorf that's going to be there for me, you know, hopefully all my four years at Nebraska to really coach me up and uh, help me be the best that I can be and hold me to a, you know, a standard that's, um, you know, it's huge. You know, Nebraska football is no joke and, uh you know, he got a, a, a you know, chance to coach in the league and stuff. So to have a guy that like that um, is just is just a blessing. 
Tristan Jebbia joining us here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. Uh, you know, one of the things quarterbacks in recruiting classes do, Tristan, is they kind of take charge. And we've seen it over the years where they start recruiting and, and kind of become a leader of a class. Are you that type of guy? And, and kind of what are your plans going forward now as the committed quarterback for Nebraska? Well, um, as a quarterback, you can't really do much unless you're drawing the end zone without guys around you. You know what I mean? Uh, you can't. You need a line to protect you. You need a running back to, to hand the ball off to you. You need four receivers that can go out and get it. And then you need a defense that can get you the ball back. So I realize that, and I understand that, that it's, a, it's a very team-oriented game. And uh, so i got to go out and get the, uh, the best guys I can for the University of Nebraska. And, you know, we want to go back to the top. So that's whatever we got to do to get there is what I'm trying to do. You know, If i got to try and get everybody that I can, that's what I'm going to do because um, you know I just want to have a great team around me. Uh, Tristan, you're coming back for the spring game uh, along with Keyshawn Jr. Uh, and a couple other guys. You know, have you talked with any other California kids uh, or anyone else, for that matter, that's also planning on being at that game that you're going to recruit? Uh, well, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of kids coming out there. Um, the Bastards are really, it seems like a hotbed for California right now, and uh, you know, it's just it's amongst the chatter pretty much every day. You know, everybody's saying you know, GBR and stuff like that because it's it's big right now. You know, there's a lot of kids really considering Nebraska. I think it's an awesome thing. Yeah, what, what do people – I mean, Nebraska is obviously far away from where you're at. I mean, do people ask you why Nebraska and, and what do you tell them? Uh, I wouldn't say that people ask me why Nebraska because I think everybody out here understands that Nebraska is a, a big-time football, you know, place. And uh, I think a lot of people out here know that I'm serious about my football and, you know, I don't – I don't really mess around with anything else besides football. You know, I really love, you know, the game, and I'm going to do my best to, um, to you know, be great. And, you know, I'm going to focus on school and stuff, and they, I think everybody's aware of that, so I don't really get any questions about that. Well, yeah, and think about the bowl game. You know, the Nebraska played UCLA in San Francisco mm-hmm. or in Santa Clara. For you, did that open your eyes? Because you, you know probably a lot of the guys on the UCLA team, and, and Nebraska went in there and just pounded them and, and ran the ball right mm-hmm. up them and uh, ended up winning that bowl game um, against UCLA. Uh, did that have mm-hmm. any impact on you as you watched that? Uh, well, you know, I think the, the one thing that I took away from it is, you know, Big Ten football and Pac-12 football are different in, in one way and one way only. The Big Ten has, you know, big, strong, powerful guys, and the Pac-12 is speed. And I feel like in football a lot, you know, the big, powerful guys are going to win more than the fast guy. And, you know, you can see that time and time again, whether it's Oregon versus Auburn in that game with Cam Newton or, um, you know, even this year with, you know, the Clemson Tigers and uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide, I just feel like, if you have a line and a great run game, it's, it's hard to stop, you know, especially late in the season. As we wrap it up here with Tristan Jebbia, Nebraska's latest four-star quarterback commit, uh, what is your relationship like with Patrick O'Brien? I know you guys threw together at that satellite camp uh, last June in Santa Monica. Uh, do you know Patrick? I, I'm sure you both mm. welcome competition. Um, what is? Uh, give us an idea of kind of how that relationship is with you guys. Uh, well, Patrick's a great guy. Um, you know, I've been, I've had the pleasure of being around Patrick uh, quite a few times, and you know, um, I, he he understands just as well as I do that uh, there's always going to be another guy coming in and trying to take your spot, and you know, vice versa. You know, you got to try to not let him take your spot. So I think there's a healthy competition that's going to be brewing, and uh, you know, I'm just going to work my tail off, and we'll see what happens. Tristan, now that you're committed to Nebraska and you can kind of put, you know, your personal recruitment on the back burner, um, you know, what is it that you're really wanting to work on as you kind of head into your senior season and, and, you know, look forward to being an early enrollee at Nebraska? 
Well, you know, I'd love to be able to, you know, be better at watching film, uh, re- uh, reading coverages quicker, and, uh, you know, uh, just getting the ball into my in my playmaker's hands faster because, you know, as soon as you get the ball into the hands of guys like Keyshawn Johnson Jr., I mean, anything can happen, you know what I mean? So uh, I'm just going to try to, you know, make sure you just play point guard out there and uh, do my best. Tristan, Jebby, our guest here. Tristan, thanks for joining us. And, and once again, uh, congratulations on your commitment to Nebraska. I know everyone's looking forward now to following you here for your senior season. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you so much. All right, when we come back here on the Husker Online Show, we'll shift our focus over to more spring football talk. Robin Washett and Dan Hoppen will join the conversation. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. This is a 20-hour work week for these guys, and if they're just putting in 20 hours a week, well, good luck. I don't want them. We want guys that are going to do that on their own. We're spending time at home and, and, and getting extra reps in because a lot of it, a lot of this stuff is not, it's, you don't wake up knowing how to do it. I mean, it's a learned behavior, so they've got to learn how to do it on their own, and, and, and they will. I think this group's going to come back in August ready to go. Well, he tells us that we can be good. We can be a good defensive line, or we can be a great def- defensive line. Of course, we want to be a great defensive line, even if that means we stay after and do more work than everybody else. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Uh, we just heard from Nebraska's newest quarterback commit, Tristan Jebby, as we talked about the impact as well of his commit. Let's move back now onto the field here as we bring in Robin Washett and Dan Hopp into the conversation. Uh, we are really to the coming to an end. I mean, next week's show will be our red-white spring game preview, and uh, that was defensive line coach John Perella and defensive end Freedom Akamaladun uh, just talking about John Perella's expectations. And I thought it was really interesting, guys, on Saturday. Um, you know, the, the last after practice ended, there there was a group of players on the field, Robin, for thirty to forty minutes additionally, led by John Perella, and and that's that blue collar mindset he's brought. I played twelve years in the NFL. I'm going to teach you, and, and he said more or less, "Hey, if you're only going to do what's on the field, I don't want you here, and I want guys that are going to do the extra work." And I think that's the biggest thing he's really brought. And I, I love just the attitude and the approach he's brought uh, to this defensive line. And it takes somebody with that kind of clout to be able to pull mm-hmm. that off. You can't just have some no-name guy come in there and try and get guys to stick around after practice and, and put in extra work that's more than what's required of them. And when you got a, a guy that's played over a decade in the NFL who was a black shirt, who was an all-conference player in this very stadium where they're practicing, uh, that goes a little further than it does for a lot of other guys. And uh, that's one of the biggest things that you know we've seen immediately from John Perella is the instant influence that he's had on these players. I mean, just the respect he commands uh, each and every practice. You know, that D-line group is one of the first groups. You know, it's taught, not only are they staying late, when you arrive at practice, you know, it's practice supposed to schedule or start at, you know, 3.30, 3.45. They're out there almost at 3 o'clock, you know, just going through mental reps uh, as a group. So, I mean, it's that, that like you said, that work ethic that he's instilling uh, has been every day since he's been here. And I think that could go a long way to really taking this unit to the next level. I don't think it it can be overstated how much that NFL experience plays with these players. Just that respect that it has earned him, that they can look at him and say, he knows what he's talking about. He did it. He played 12 years in the NFL. That that's posi- really impressive. And at that position, I yeah. mean, that's a hard position. That's Yeah, that's an incredibly long career. For a defensive tackle. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's not um, Vince Wolfork here with no. some <laughs> massive body. So that tells you a guy like that, you know, Mike Riley talked about, when he coached him in San Diego, 
how John Perella led the lifting groups and Junior Seau and him had the top group and to be in their lifting group, you had to meet their expectations. And and that's kind of the sense you get with him. But uh, let's move it on here, uh, more defensive talk. You know, one of the other things that's jumped out here is is in the secondary. There's been, they're, they're just missing a lot of bodies. And, um, you know, they announced this week that Chris Jones will miss the remainder of the spring uh, with, with a, a minor deal. But, yeah. Robin, they're, I mean, they're down to bare bones at that cornerback position. Yeah, and it's really going to be interesting how they handle that in the spring game. Uh, earlier this week on Tuesday uh, when Chris Jones's, um, I guess situation was announced, you know, they only had four active cornerbacks, and one of those was a walk-on. So uh, you're looking at Bose Joseph, uh, Joshua Kalu, and uh, Eric Lee as your only scholarship corners right now in practice, and that's that's tough. It's because it's it really limits in the amount of stuff you can do. Uh, Tuesday they were trying to work on a lot of nickel package stuff, but they could only do so much because you know you, you hardly have enough to have a base secondary, let alone add another defensive back in there so uh yeah i think that, that might kind of complicate things and as how the actual red white game is played out uh, similar to uh, a year ago with the linebacker situation you know they kind of had to work some things around with uh how they handled that but uh, certainly not not an ideal situation uh, especially with you know the the new change up they did with the coaching having banker focus specifically with the safeties and brian stewart working with those corners you know you'd like to have your full cast there to get that extra individual instruction yeah, and I think that this only further strengthens the opinion that some of these true freshmen that come in the fall they're going to oh, get yeah. a shot right Lamar away. Lamar Jackson, come on up. Lamar Jackson, Markel Dismuke, these guys are going to get a chance. DiCaprio Boodle, I mean, oh, yeah. Tony, yeah. Tony Butler. It's a good group of defensive backs, and um, it's kind of a chain, uh, changing of the torch here. I mean, you're going to see these guys come in, and uh, the next year's recruiting class that's already being built right now, I mean, uh, it, it's they've done an incredible job of you know getting some good recruits and I think that will be really exciting in August and this I mean a guy that really needs to make a move right now is Eric Lee yes I mean you know a year ago at this time he was an early enrollee he was a four-star kind of one of the headliners of that 2000, number one guy in Colorado yeah that 2015 class and we just haven't heard a whole lot from him he redshirted last year and that, and that's fine um, but you know even talking to Brian Stewart you know the other night he didn't – I asked him specifically about Eric Lee, and he just kind of said, well, all those young guys, they really got to improve on their consistency. It doesn't sound like Eric Lee stood out so far. Yeah, I think you guys made a point, Lamar Jackson. I think the, the road is paved for him to come in. And I don't know about winning a starting job, but I think he's got a chance to be on the field in, yeah. in a pretty big capacity. Absolutely. If, if he is what he's advertised. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Uh, Sean Callahan and Robin Washington and Dan Hoppen as uh, we give a breakdown here of what we've seen in spring practice. This is the fifth week of practice uh, when you count spring break. Next week will be the sixth. Um, there really haven't been that – there hasn't been that big major scrimmage, you know, the the one that you kind of really get geared up to watch, 100 live plays. And um, Saturday we thought we'd see some of that. They were in the stadium. Um, it was limited live work, limited scrimmage. And uh, I want to talk to you about this first, Dan, about Tommy Armstrong. It's interesting – um, you know, just the different opinions people have from practice. Like, you know, I watched Tommy Armstrong and I thought, oh, he did some good things. Um, and then you, you obviously said, yeah, same old, same old. And, and people on the Red Sea Scrolls 
um, said what's amazing that Sean and Dan could have such different views of Tommy Armstrong. I think that is one of the things about watching practice. When you have maybe 50 people watching practice, you're going to have different viewpoints on practice. Uh, what did you see from Tommy that made you maybe question um, what what you saw in the scrimmages and, and stuff we saw Saturday? Well, in all honesty, Sean, I really don't think we had you know that many different views. What you said in our practice thread was that Tommy made some really nice throws, and that's completely accurate. Tommy made some great throws on Saturday. He did, but that's something we've seen from Tommy over the past couple of years. He's a guy with a very strong arm who can make some tough passes and look great at times. But overall, that consistency that you want him to develop, in in my eyes, and I could be wrong, but in my eyes, it just wasn't there again. And that's that's kind of that step that we all want Tommy to take. And I, it, it's one scrimmage, so I don't want to put too much into it or anything. But from what we saw on Saturday, it's still not there. And what's going to be interesting to me, though, is that <clears throat> we're really not going to get a fair uh, evaluation of what Tommy is going to be this season until we see them actually put their full offense in place. Yes. We've heard earlier this spring how much more of the quarterback run game they're going to try and uh, And we've seen it in spring yeah. a little bit. Yeah, and so, I mean, how much more of the offense is going to look like that UCLA formula, not necessarily running the ball that many times, but incorporating the QB run game that much more. And so if Nebraska is able to have that, you know, run first mentality, Tommy's a way better quarterback. And so just because, you know, he had, you know, an on and off showing, you know, so far this spring, I think it's, it's, you kind of got to hold off making a, a final, you know, take on his progression so far until we get to see this offense in its, you know, full form. And they were so, I think, worried about protecting Armstrong last year. Right. Um, but he's a big guy. I mean, he's, as he a, can take a hit. As a running back, he would be a big running back. Um, mm-hmm. and I think he has the body that can take a little bit of a hit, and um, he, he's fought through. I mean, he's missed some games with some injuries over his career, not very many, uh, but he's fought through um, a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's a tough kid. There's no doubt about that. And they actually have the benefit of a little bit more depth behind him at quarterback, too, with uh, old Patrick O'Brien now in the mix. All right, well, we're approaching that red-white spring game. About 50,000 tickets have already been sold. The early forecast looks mid-70s for next Saturday, so – uh, if you haven't got your tickets, make sure you get your red-white tickets. Nebraska will practice here on Saturday and then Tuesday and Thursday uh, next week before the red-white game. When we come back here on the show, uh, we'll get the latest on Husker baseball as they got a big series win against Illinois. They split their midweek games with Kansas State and UNO. Uh, they have another home conference series against Northwestern. We'll get Dan Hoppins' take on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Dan Hoppin. We're going to talk some Nebraska baseball now as the Huskers uh, got a midweek split with Kansas State and uh, Nebraska-Omaha as uh, they won a sloppy game at Warner Park 11-6. They dropped a tough one on Tuesday night, 4-2, but... Uh, they did get a big weekend win uh, against Illinois, Dan. And um, I, what I liked about that weekend was I mean, these weren't, you know, automatic wins. I mean, Nebraska had to really show um, some character, some heart, um, some resolve, and, and they were able to get, you know, a couple of come-from-behind wins on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it was really impressive the way that Nebraska was able to come back um, in both of those games. They kind of got down early and – scratched and clawed their way back into it the bullpen did a nice job but I think those games and then the two midweek games so far this week have really shown Nebraska's biggest issue this team can't throw strikes 
I, I, I don't know what it is. And I can tell you, Darren doesn't know what it is either. I, it's up and down the roster, whether it's starters, relievers, anyone. They're just walking way too many batters. And that, you know, even though Nebraska's won, uh, you know, a couple games here, they've won three of five in the last week. But that's a really troublesome thing. You know, you go back to a year ago, they had that great Friday-Saturday one-two punch. Kubat and Sinclair, yeah. And and those guys threw a lot of strikes, and they went deep into games. But it was about this time as well last year, Dan, where things went downhill. And I think that's what I'm going to be watching close is they're 20-9, and 5-1 in the Big Ten with a real opportunity this weekend against Northwestern to, to get, you know, a nice, comfortable start here to Big Ten play. Mm-hmm. But – is this team complete enough to do that, or are these walks going to catch up with them? Yeah, and I think, you know, realistically, Northwestern is not a good baseball team at all. So realistically, Nebraska, at worst, should go 2-1 and one this weekend, maybe sweep this thing. That would put you at 8-1 and one or 7-2. and two in. That would be the best start to Nebraska's start Big Ten play. Yeah, that would be great. Um, and then you got to travel to Michigan next weekend. I think that's when we're going to learn some more about this team because Michigan actually looks like they're decent. But the thing that Nebraska has going for it is the Big Ten is not as good this year as it was last year. So I think that's going to help as far as avoiding that slide goes. But you're absolutely right, Sean. If this team can't figure out how to throw some strikes and quit walking so many people, it's not going to matter. They, they can cruise through the Big Ten if they want. They'll get crushed in a regional. Yeah, and, and speaking of regionals, as we talk Nebraska baseball with Dan Hoppin, D1Baseball.com, kind of considered one of the authority websites on college baseball, does have three Big Ten teams in the regional. I believe Michigan State was a two-seed, mm-hmm. and then Nebraska and Michigan were in as three-seeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty generous. Uh, but the RPIs do reflect today. The Big Ten would probably have three in. Um, but, you know, there's a long time to go until now in that tournament in Omaha. Yeah, absolutely. That, that There's so much baseball left to be played. I mean, I know it's fun to look at these RPI projections and everything, but you know, if we would have looked at them last year for Nebraska, they probably, you know, would have been a two or a three seed in a regional two, and then they fell apart to close the season. Uh, Nebraska lost Dan on Tuesday to Kansas State, and, you know, you, you get those opportunities against Big 12 teams, and those are RPI-type games in the midweek. What did you see in that game, a low-scoring game? Uh, Jake Myers got the start at pitcher. Uh, what was kind of the thing that held Nebraska back from maybe getting that, that big midweek win against Kansas State? Well, I mean, it's always tough in those midweek games because, you know, like a guy like Jake Myers, I mean, he's – He's Nebraska's starting right fielder. He's not really – he's definitely not a starting pitcher. You know, it's kind of one of those bullpen-type games where you're just asking everybody to go two or three innings. So it's kind of one of those weird ones. But Nebraska just didn't have a lot of life in that one. And it was odd because, you know, I've kind of harped on how bad the pitching's been. The offense has been just as good as the pitching has been bad. <laughs> They've been really good, and and uh, and they didn't do much in that game against Kansas State. So I think that game is more of an outlier than anything. I think this team is – good enough offensively to make up for a lot of its pitching woes and then nebraska it will be interesting dan after northwestern uh they go to omaha for their second of three with creighton at td ameritrade Uh, i'll be really curious how their offense really plays out in in td ameritrade because obviously they've had a lot of success with the long ball Mm -hmm. but we we know the history and the numbers about you're not hitting too many out a lot of doubles yeah uh but yeah i i think that will be interesting but nebraska they have had a lot of home runs this year, but they've also shown you know the ability to hit doubles and triples, and that's something that can work 
at TD Ameritrade. You can score a lot of runs that way, and and that's uh, that's really how they were able to beat Creighton last time. Well, and it is somewhat of an advantage that Nebraska will get two games there this year because that will get them ready for that Big Ten tournament and just you would think so, yeah. You know, help the pitchers and everybody get kind of a better feel for that ballpark. Mm-hmm. Because you know, even with uh, I mean Hawks Field at Haymarket Park, it, it's great and it's it's a bigger college baseball you know field than you know most of the parks that nebraska is going to play at but still being at td ameritrade a place that can house I mean, what are we even th- like, 25 yeah 25,000 people i mean that's just a totally different animal so to get even if you don't have the stands full which obviously they won't be for a random midweek game but just to be in that atmosphere i think kind of might help to get them ready for that and calm the nerves a little bit when the time does come. I'll never forget that Indiana-Nebraska championship game On Sunday, yeah, unbelievable. And I talked – Kevin Kugler announced that on the BTN, and he told me that the producers of the Big Ten Network still talk about that game (laughs) as one of their, like, favorite sporting events they've ever produced and covered just because for college baseball that was amazing. And and hopefully, you know, I'm – you know, we still got a few months to go or a few weeks to go before that tournament, but hopefully with Nebraska having a good year, we could see some big crowds again in Omaha. Yeah, I certainly hope so because it's it's good for, you know, Omaha. It's good for the Big Ten. It's good for everyone involved that uh, that Nebraska is good in all honesty. And, and I think if, if those kind of crowds would show up again this year, I think that the Big Ten would seriously look at bringing this thing back to Omaha, you know, maybe not all the time just because they have to balance it with a Big East tournament with Creighton, but certainly they would want to bring the Big Ten tournament back as often as they can. And the thing we still don't know is will the Big East want to commit to renting the facility at TD Ameritrade for the cost and then the travel cost for all the teams and stuff to come in to Omaha because that is the furthest west school um, for those Big East teams to come in for that tournament. Um, So you wonder, like, how much money – uh, is to be made for them where the Big Ten, I know for the ballpark itself, they're going to make a lot more money uh, having the Big Ten tournament there. But that's a whole nother show for down the road. Uh, Nebraska baseball this weekend, three-game series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, against Northwestern. It's a 635 game on Friday. That's on BTN+. Plus. Uh, but Saturday's game at 205 will be on NET. And then Sunday, 105, it's going to be another nice Sunday, 80-degree type day. Uh, they drew nearly 7,000 last Sunday. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised again if we saw a big crowd out there, especially for that uh, finale uh, when the weather is going to be really nice. Well, uh, when we come back on the show, we'll wrap things up. We'll bring Nate Klaus back. Uh, some big news in recruiting as far as spring game visitors go, in-state offers. We'll get his thoughts on all that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the show. We've had a heavy recruiting edition here of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. And we're going to close things here with some more recruiting. We've already talked about Tristan Jebbia. We've heard about him or we've heard from him on the show. But uh, there's other things that have happened in recruiting as well for Nebraska and other storylines that relate to Nebraska. And uh, we try to dedicate the final segment every week with Nate uh, to go through these storylines, things you need to follow. And I want to start right with uh, Brock Bando, Nate, the former Lincoln Southeast offensive lineman. He left his program a year ago to go down to IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. And 
it was a decision at the time that I think a lot of, it was met with a little controversy because uh, no one around here has ever done something like that. And, um, you know, leaving your school, leaving your teammates. Uh, but he did it for the bigger picture to, to get some more attention. Uh, he's gotten offers early from Louisville, Mississippi State. Well, then this week, Georgia offers 18 players at IMG Academy, including Brock Bando. Then Nebraska follows up with their own offer. Uh, what was your take on just that whole situation and how it played out? Well, it's really interesting. I mean, it's basically uncharted territory when you look at a kid from Lincoln, Nebraska going to IMG Academy. But the way things have unfolded in terms of his offers has been pretty interesting uh, for a player who, who didn't start last year. He was a backup. He played in a reserve role at IMG Academy. And, and so he really only has about a three-minute to four-minute highlight tape on Huddle. But he's picked up some pretty large offers. And um, you know, Monday or Tuesday, rather, or uh, Georgia comes in and offers 18 kids out of IMG, and, and Brock Bando was one of them, and, which kind of caught him by surprise because he said he never really had any contact with Georgia. Uh, and then the next day, Nebraska comes in with the offer. And, you know, he visited here um, you know, the, the week prior while he was on spring break and had a good conversation with Mike Cavanaugh, Mike Riley. And I think that the Huskers just wanted to, to get in and go ahead and offer right now. Um, um, and and I think that he's a kid who obviously likes Nebraska, but he's taking his time. So it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. You know, and we've had this conversation before, and I think this theory kind of solidifies what you and I have always thought, that there are a lot of guys that are here in Lincoln or Omaha or wherever that if they were in a different state, they would get offers from better schools. And I think this is a perfect example uh, a lineman that is 6'5", what is he, about 270? 280. 280, um, that has the measurables, is in a big-time program, and because he's no longer in Lincoln, Nebraska, he's now been exposed to a lot more coaches and a lot more people and recruiting is about eyeballs and he's been seen by a lot more eyeballs which has led which has have led to these offers yeah you're absolutely right i think it does confirm a lot of that now i will say that I do feel that kids at IMG Academy maybe are getting a little more hype than your normal kid out of Texas or California or, or even another high school in, in the state of Florida, just with everything that's surrounded that program over the last year with the Harbaugh deal. And I mean, I don't know, it's kind of been a lightning rod over the last year with everything that's gone on there. But again, it, it does it does reinforce that, that there is talent in the state. And if these kids were in a different area that had spring football that, that you know, basically were kind of football factories that they would be getting more looks and and bando's a a good example of that img academy is essentially the part in the lake the fishing hole where every boat goes over (laughs) you know and in this the the hole that we're in right here nate only a few boats make the rounds but uh, every single person that matters in college football makes their way through there and obviously it started with jim harbaugh this year running his spring ball uh the attention and and where that program's at it it's been amazing and other in-state news nate uh, tyler sheray out of bellevue west uh, a six foot three guard was offered by colorado state and i think he's kind of in a group of in-state players that are on that radar for nebraska you have tyler sheray uh, Patrick Arnold from Gretna, an offensive lineman. You have Rudy Stoffer, an offensive lineman from Kearney, uh, that has an offer right now from Wyoming. And then the very intriguing Logan Strom, the six foot eight offensive tackle out of Norfolk, who is bound to hear blow up here probably once more people see him. And uh, what do you make of the Sheree offer and kind of where things stand on the in-state uh, with maybe that first offer out to an offensive lineman? It's interesting because Colorado State 
State really wasn't a program that had been following Sheree too closely before they offered. So I think that that kind of caught some people by surprise. And, and I would throw in Brett Cottrell from Ashland Greenwood in, into that mix there too, is, is maybe the, you know, that group of linemen in the in state that Nebraska has taken a hard look at that, you know, I think you can make a case for any one of those guys to, to potentially pick up an offer from the Huskers. And I think that they're going to be evaluating these guys closely during the spring period. And, and of course would hope to work with a number of these guys in summer camps, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were one or two guys to emerge out of that group. Um, maybe the greatest upside, like you mentioned is Logan Strom. They just don't come six, eight, 245, 250 pounds at this point. Um, I mean, they just don't come built like him very often. And he's a very intriguing prospect was down at, at wake forest this week, took a couple unofficial visits around the country is coming back, uh, you know, to Nebraska here. Uh, we'll be, you know, be on campus for a spring game and, and things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see what shakes out in, in state here over the next few months. Well, and one more in-state follow-up here. You have Austin Allen out of Aurora, mm-hmm. Iowa, Iowa State, Nebraska, Central Florida have offered, uh, supposed to be visiting UCLA. You know, what What do you make of it? Where I mean, these in-state kids are no longer just jumping on the Husker offer. I mean, it, it's kind of... Uh, a tough deal. You got the number one quarterback in California committing to Nebraska. Um, <laughs> one of the most high profile players ever out of USC son commits to Nebraska, Keyshawn Johnson Jr. But a tight end in Aurora has not committed to Nebraska. I mean, it, it's if you're Mike Riley, Ryan Gunderson, and the guys up in the recruiting area for Nebraska, you just have to scratch your head. Like, what do we got to do to get the kid that's an hour away to commit when we're getting these other guys to commit? Well, yeah, from an outsider's perspective, it is very interesting to see the dynamic that's taking place in state. But if you're Mike Riley or any of the coaching staff or recruiting staff, you, you have to be frustrated because – it's not like Nebraska was playing catch up and offering Austin Allen. They were the first team to offer him, and they offered early. And, and you know, things are kind of dragging out. Now, I think with him, basketball is playing a factor. He's obviously very good at, at football and basketball. I think basketball is his true love. So he's kind of maybe seeing what happens um, over here over the next month with the basketball evaluation period. Um, you know, the AAU game is going to be taking place here over the next few weekends. Uh, to see if there's any big offers that come his way. But it's most definitely frustrating when you look back to the way things unfolded with Deshaun Neal. Uh, obviously, Noah Fant, uh, that was a, a Jared big... Jared Yeah, Jared Bubach. Noah Fant was a big saga. Um, you know, and now Austin Allen, I, I know that was the guy that Nebraska would like to have in the boat already, but seems to be taking his time and being very patient with the process. And this is maybe a better topic for like a July show, but I think it, it kind of puts into perspective what Nebraska's somewhat struggles over the last 15 years, you know, stuff like this is, is part of it. I mean, kids just don't look at Nebraska in the state maybe as we maybe did as in our generation. Mm-hmm. You know, we witnessed the, one of the greatest runs ever as kids growing up here where now a lot of these kids, for them, you know, and Dominican Sioux is kind of their history. They don't have the perspective. Um, so it's just different. It doesn't have maybe the meaning uh, to all the kids like it once did. It is different, and I think until Nebraska kind of gets back to becoming relevant year in and year out and and is able to gain a little bit more leverage on the recruiting front, um, I think we're going to continue to see things kind of play out this way. I think Twitter, too, has allowed other coaches to communicate faster and deliver messages a lot easier to these in-state kids. And, um, you know, I think the lines of communication – 
have really opened up a lot more where it's a lot easier for these out-of-state coaches to, to maybe drop in a line or two and, and keep the line open. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Between Huddle and Twitter, I think the the recruiting landscape has dr- changed drastically over it's the last. Unlimited contact. Yeah, it's unlimited contact, and uh, and coaches are able to to evaluate kids without flying halfway across the country. Now they're able to see the film instantly, so that's changed things as well. As we wrap it up here with Nate Klaus in this edition of the Husker Online Show, Avery Roberts, a linebacker out of Delaware, is down to Nebraska in Penn State. What's the timeline on that on that decision, and how do you see it shaking out? Well, it's quite possible that Avery Roberts is the next person to commit for Nebraska in 2017. He's a four-star linebacker out of Delaware, the number one player in the state, uh, one of the top linebackers in the country, and he's pretty much narrowed his list down to Nebraska, Penn State. He visited the Huskers last year for the spring game absolutely loved his trip he has about the the best relationship you can have with a coach and that's with Trent Bray um, you know when he talks about Trent Bray he gushes about the the type of relationship that he has with him uh, and the type of coach that he is the players that he's developed he's got that type of you know he's a young guy who's played the position he's gone through the recruiting process himself um, and and Avery Roberts is really one of the first guys that Trent Bray offered when he was hired at Nebraska. So this dates back to a long time uh, now, and, and that's kind of building. But uh, he is taking the visit, uh, one last visit to Penn State on April 16th for the spring game there before he makes his decision on April 21st. But uh, I do like Nebraska's chances uh, given the relationship that he has and the fact that he has visited Lincoln already. And we are nearly a week away from the red-white spring game. Next week's podcast, we will have a full breakdown of who's coming and, and how big of a weekend this could be. But uh, that puts a wrap here on another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again to Tristan Jebbia, Nebraska's quarterback recruit, for joining us. And also uh, Dan Hoppen and Robin Washington. And, and thanks to you, Nate, as uh, we put a close here on tonight's show. You bet. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 